Hello, hello. We are here with another episode of Down and Dirty with Denise. Now, I have a lady, a very special lady. She might be a new friend, but I feel like she's going to become an old friend very soon. Like we are we are going to be in touch because she is a fellow Jewish funny lady that is exploding and all over the place. You can catch her in so many shows. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Denny. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to get down and or dirty. Both yes. are fine, right? But the, you had talked about the fact that I'm Jewish, which is true. Did I say my name? I'm Liz Glazer. There you Hi. go. I was going to um, say <laughs> So yeah, it's just like an AA meeting when it's like, then I start going on and on and on. And they're like, what's your name? Uh, so anyway, and there, I really do like to say my last name, but you can't. So anyway, uh, AA is great networking. Everybody knows that, but nobody talks about it except for when they talk about it, but then they're not supposed to talk about it. But I digress. Uh, I am Liz Glazer and I, I don't know that I identify as an alcoholic, but I do not drink. Uh, and I do go to AA meetings, um, which is why I connect to the thing that I just said. Um, what I was going to say before I got on at least three tangents, and I imagine <laughs> I won't resume any of them. Um, so if you like open parentheses, this is the podcast episode for you. Yes. Um, but you mentioned that I'm a Jew, which is a thing that you and I connect on, but mm -hmm. also I don't know that I realized that you are a lawyer yeah. when we first met. That was something, because we didn't talk about that. Is that no, correct? I don't right. think we did. Right. You were very sleuth. And so <laughs> I, I listened to your podcast and that was how I discovered that you're a lawyer. Um, but uh, I, I am also a lawyer. So we're oh! Both, oh, you didn't know that? No. Oh, yeah. And so, okay. Um, we're connected. I, yeah, I think so. Um, the reason that, so it seems to me, and, you know, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but it seems to me that your lawyer doesn't show when you're doing comedy, like in the sense that you perceive them to be like different interests of yours and you kind of want them to be separate, which I can totally understand. Yeah. Um, great. And so for me, I guess I relate to that. So I, I was a tenured law professor. I learned that your mother Damn. is a tenured something or yeah, time. she's retired. She was a high okay. school teacher and administrator. Yeah. Oh, I see. Great. So then you and your mother and I have in common that we're both retired <laughs> tenured teachers because so I, I was a law professor. Um, you're where? from Long Island. Yeah. Right? Can you tell, are you okay to say? Yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's, I, I, I worked at Hofstra for nine Oh, years. I grew up right there. Right. So, so your point of connection is are both being Jewish comedians fair enough. But I was like, but we have such deeper connections, even like, not that being Jewish isn't deep, but just like that there are these other ones that jumped out at me also. So anyway, so yes. I just mentioned, I mentioned all that. So yeah. So I taught law for nine years Damn. I practiced for two. And so the joke that I have about it, which of course will not get a laugh as when people say, this is my joke for it on any podcast, um, <laughs> but, but is, you know, that, that like, 
like I, I wasn't always a stand-up comedian. I used to be Alice from the Brady Bunch, which then usually gets left because of <laughs> physical things. But then I'm like, no, actually I was a law professor. That was Alice's other job. She didn't get much of a backstory, but it is true that I was a law professor. And that's generally how people get into stand-up comedy. You know, like generally speaking, somebody wants to be a stand-up comedian. What do they do? You could say it with me. They go to law school for three <laughs> years, then they practice for two years, then they teach for nine years. And that's when they give it all up and they do stand up comedy. And people are like, what do you, why did you go to law school? I'm like, I'm setting up a joke. I'm going to tell in approximately 14 years. I'm a planner, but, but anyway, so, um, so sometimes I do that like material because yeah, yeah. when I first started doing stand up, which was uh, March 5th of 2013, wow. and so that thereabouts, um, I didn't talk about any law stuff. Um, then I would subsequently retire from my job in order to do stand-up full-time, <laughs> which I've been doing since 2015. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, since then, I guess like anything, like, you know, sometimes it takes, I guess some things that happen to you immediately filter through mm -hmm. into like material and jokes and then other stuff, it kind of takes a little bit of brewing and percolating and- right marinating and other food related verbs that could apply metaphorically. But like, um, yeah, like, so, so I, I do stand up in like law context sometimes, mm -hmm. which has been helpful in the sense that I'm like, oh yeah, I do have jokes about like this time in my life and this aspect of my experience and personality mm -hmm. and you know, whatever. So anyway, we're both lawyers is yeah. also. <laughs> okay. I have a couple follow-ups. So, yes. well, just for the two of us are going to talk nonstop, clearly, because yeah. we're both Jewish lawyers. Um, so my, fir my first response is like, I would have to retire from law also to feel comfortable, like making jokes. It's not like if I was to make a joke, which I had one when I first started doing stand up, mm -hmm. like an office work related joke, like it was just sure. like an like, you know, working in an office, but right. like, not like specific to being a lawyer. I think yeah. that I'm not comfortable because I still need to keep my job. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I what mean, you teach also, that's the other follow -up. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I taught property because I, I practiced oh, sure. as a real estate lawyer for the little bit of time that I practiced. Mm -hmm. um, I was a transactional real estate lawyer, like in the city. And then uh, so I taught property for like the whole okay. time. That was like my first year class. Rule yeah. of perpetuities. Not yeah. okay. Still don't know it. <laughs> sure. Don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll definitely get to that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure your listeners would be super interested. Yeah, they have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, you know, all of the lives and being that are listening um, yes. or that could be listening 21 <laughs> years from the creation of this <laughs> podcast. Uh, there are some rule against perpetuities jokes for those who are coming by for that. Um, but <laughs> they're like, it's all of us. We love property law and we really love the jokes about it. So um, yeah, the, what I was going to say is the irony is that now I do stand up for law firms and law schools, like, uh, and I tell all these jokes and like, they invite me back and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and like, in some cases there are places that I worked and I'm like, that's so funny. Cause I was so afraid to tell jokes about you. Yeah. People, and yeah. now I am. And you're like, more, more. 
So I yeah. mean, Baruch Hashem and Amir Tashem, it should continue this way, you know, for the Parnassah and, you know, whatever. But <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's also just like separate from the kind of, you know, financial logistics of things. It's also fun. Like I enjoy yeah. those crowds and I love doing those shows. And it's also, I guess, nicely validating that it's like, you're not, there's nothing bad about you. You didn't like do anything that people, you know, who you used to work for and at the places of your work would think that you should be ashamed of, which I think there, I don't know if this is resonant for you, but there was something about doing comedy, especially from law that, and there are a lot of us, you know, yeah. who have that route in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it would be interesting to me to kind of get a sense of this. Um, but like whether to me, it feels like a little bit of a rebellion, but, um, but I don't know that it's only that, you know, I think that the two can actually be quite connected to each other and, you know, existent in the same universe, because I really like, I wouldn't have thought that I would be acceptable in these settings in the way that thankfully I have been. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, I think for me, cause now I've been in exclusively law firms for almost six years. Okay. But the law firm setting is, listen, it's old school. So like, I don't work at this firm anymore. So like, I really don't care what I, I mean, I'm not going to name them, but like, I really don't care what I say anymore. So like there was an equity partner. And what that means is like one of the big dogs that has like is a profit sharing partner, right? Like not just someone bringing in business, they're getting profits from the firm who just on a daily basis is disgusting and sexually harasses people and like says inappropriate things about race. Like, I mean, he says everything inappropriate that you could think of for everyone. Right. And he, he thinks he's a comedian. I'm like doing one bringer show every six months does not a comedian make. Um, but okay. But so he would tell all these dirty jokes about how his wife doesn't give him blowjobs and how he's cheating on his wife and all the shit. And I will say that he, he, there are people that really came and saw me at that firm. Like they, they listened to my material. They would listen to my sets and be fine with it. But there's a difference between like that and like a podcast and things being recorded and like stuff like that. Like it's one thing to pretend and maybe that you're okay with it and then maybe come and see a show. But I just feel like, of course, a white man that's an equity partner can say whatever he wants and keep keep all of his money and his livelihood and his position. And I'm sitting here and I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm uh, this podcast is a very vulnerable, scary thing for me to do because I get so sexual on some of the episodes that it worries me a little bit. Right. That makes sense to me. And I can appreciate the gender disparity and inequity that you're describing. Um, You know, I think I, I wasn't always as clean a comedian as I am now, Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, like even, I mean, on your show, I even did a dildo joke, but it's actually a very clean joke, which is a, uh, it's just basically about, um, dildo like hygiene. Um, but even my dirtiest jokes are clean. I don't curse. Uh, and, and again, it's not so much that I have like a moral 
disapproval of it. Um, but I don't naturally do it so much as a person. So if I were to do it on stage, I think it would feel put on. Right. Um, and I think that those things are in some ways just naturally advantageous if you're pursuing, you know, a path that has corporate gigs or school gigs or whatever. And those are things that I do a lot of. And again, it wasn't like I started, A, I didn't start that clean because I think when I first started, you know, and, and I have talked with other comedians about this, I think it's, you know, it's, it's at least sort of a thing. Um, not that every dirty comedian is um, new, because that's of course not true, right. but that it's often a thing that when comedians start out, that being dirty and being like very sexual can be appealing because it will get a reaction. Like it might not be the reaction that you're ultimately after, but it'll get something as opposed to nothing. And so it can be an attractive topic to land on perhaps because of that. Again, I'm speaking in generalities. Obviously there are exceptions in all different ways, but I think for me, to the extent that at the beginning of my comedy, I said more, I don't know, like sexually racy things. I think that I was maybe motivated to do that at the time. One, because my life was really different from what it is now. I'm married, right. uh, I've been married and with the same person for a long time. We're having a kid. Like my life, you know, it's right. just, there's a lot of stuff in my life that I'm like, I'm not hiding anything by being right. clean about it. Right. And so it happened to coincide at the time when I started doing you know, more gigs that were like, we need someone clean. And I'm like, yeah, it's totally no problem. And I was able to say that without issue. If it was an issue, then it's like, okay, maybe, maybe that just doesn't fit with your life anymore. So all of this to say, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, it just ended up working out because the stuff that I'm normally predisposed to talking about happens to not be that offensive, even to like a congregation or a bunch of partners, you know? Right. So the problem is, is that I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I, I come from originally the improv world, but yeah. I started. Uh, okay. That's cool to know. See, yeah. we have a lot of connections. Yeah. Um, but I started doing stand up after my last serious relationship. Okay. So I started, um, it's September, 2018. Okay. I started with the comedy seller class. Cause I was an improviser. Like I didn't really know how to write, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so for the past three ish years, I am single and like, I mean, even like I, I, I did have sex recently, which is super exciting. Oh, mazel tov. Um, thank you. Hopefully I love it. Happen. <laughs> the next week he says, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like, even talking to like, I mean, here's the thing also, I am a girl's girl in the sense of like, I've always had close girlfriends, but I'm a yeah. guy's girl too. I've always sure. had close guy friends. So like yeah. one yeah. of my best guy friends texted me and was like, have you seen the, have you seen Mr. Big? And I was like, huh? You mean, he's like the one with the big dick that you were telling us about. I was like that big old dick. I didn't expect that. That's how I talk. Right. So it's a problem for me. And, and, and again, it, and and like, this is where I think about if I want to do corporate gigs and synagogue circuit and like all that stuff, I need to clean up my act. But the, the other thing is, 
is like, you're right. Like my life isn't there. If I was married and with the baby or whatever, I'd be talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I I don't actually think that there's a problem, but I, I appreciate that you're saying it that way because, you know, you're approaching it from the perspective of like, could I, you know, have my job and also do my comedy. Yeah. Right. And so in that sense, it's a problem because you're saying based on what my comedy is and based on what my job is, they clash in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes sense to me. Yeah. But, you know, again, I, I don't really think of it as a problem in the sense that like, I don't know. I mean, when I look back on my life, like everything really did Baruch Hashem, like happen at the right time. Okay. And like, it's not, I mean, it's nice to be able to like do shuls and law firms and whatever, but like, I wasn't trying to get that. It just kind of happened because I did a thing, somebody watched it and they're like, great, this would work for our Purim carnival, you know, whatever. And it's like, (laughs) okay, like that wouldn't have been true for all sorts of reasons, you know, five years ago or whatever you know, even two years ago. Um, so, so yeah, so it's like, I think that, you know, uh, Mike Kaplan, who's a dear friend of mine and obviously brilliant comedian and, and person, um, he often quotes, I think it's a Talmudic story, but I don't know the origins. Um, okay. it's basically like that at the end of your life, like, you know, Hashem or God or whoever, like you're chatting with at that moment, doesn't ask you if you were the best, let's say comedian or lawyer. They just ask if you were the best you that you right. could be. And I love being reminded of that because I say it in this moment, because it's kind of like, I perceive my comedy journey very intentionally not to be the most I don't know, successful by some sort of marker, you know, like winning contests or getting on stuff, but instead, am I expressing myself most fully? Mm. And, um, Danny Jollis, who's another wonderful comedian, uh, he once said, he's like, you know, the thing that's that stand up is supposed to highlight and showcase is like, think of your best self at a party, for example. And, are you able to like approach like, you know, your best self at a party? And again, I mean, that, that needn't be the only thing, but I thought it was a useful metric in terms of getting at that coming closer to being yourself. So all of it to say that, like, I don't think being clean or dirty is the thing, you know, it's just like, what are you like? And, and what about you is the thing. And I think you're right that that changes based on, you know, where you're at as, as a person. Right. Like, are you authentic and are you yourself? Even at the open mic that I've been hosting Mm -hmm. the tiny cupboard, I I remember somebody was like doing jokes about his girlfriend and then was like, I don't have a girlfriend. That's weird. Like that's weird. Like you shouldn't, you're, you're not being truthful in who you are. And it's one thing, listen, we do j- old jokes sometimes that like that didn't happen recently or whatever, but like, if you're, if you're in a relationship, talk about that. If you're single, talk about that. Like, I feel like you want to be true to yourself. And I, I always want to be like, this is real and raw. 
it's an exaggerated version of my life. And these are the things that I say to my friends and that I would say, and that I say on stage because I like them and they, they make me laugh. I hope they make you laugh. And, and I'm not trying to be a persona of, of somebody else. I'm trying to like be authentically me wherever that lies in the place of my life that I'm in. Sure. I mean, I think there's a few ways to look at it for sure. My intention is not to say that there's one way that's better and one way that's worse, but rather, you know, that this is how I perceive my own trajectory Mm -hmm. and how I try to judge, you know, how much I like what I'm doing on stage. Like in terms of somebody who's saying something like I have a girlfriend, but I don't have a girlfriend, like, you know, that could be where he's at. You know what I mean? And if somebody's doing a character, I mean, there's that saying, I don't know who said it, but only emotion endures. It's like a writing quote. And it's basically like, you know, the idea of, um, I imagine there are a few different ways to interpret it, but just like that if you're writing and you're evoking the emotionality of like whatever it is that you're writing, that that's really the thing. It's not about what happened, right? And so that's why- you know, it's like we can watch Barry that is about a hitman, but really allegedly it's about, you know, Bill Hader's experiences on SNL, but the emotionality of it is the same, you know, perhaps. Yeah, I guess I always think about, not that I, I actually didn't watch Last Comic Standing that much, but I remember one season this woman was on and she was making all these jokes about how nobody wants to fuck her. And then later on in her set, she talks about her husband and her kids. Oh, and And later on in her set, somebody has sex with her on stage. (laughs) (laughs) No. And then, and then I think it was Keenan Ivory Waynes was the judge. And he was like, you've now lied to the audience because you started off being like a single woman that can't get laid. And then five minutes later, you're telling us that you're really married. Like be you. Yeah. But I mean, it's also like, it's so hard, right. To be you, whoever it is, you know, which is why I think it's like a process and a trajectory to get to that place. Like, and I think that, you know, somebody literally contradicting themselves. I mean, it's not a witness stand, right. You don't have to, you're not under oath. And so (laughs) despite the fact, I mean, sure. Last comic standing is a competition and there are judges. And so the judges of course are free to like evaluate the Mm -hmm. contestants on whatever bases they deem relevant to, you know, the thing and the art and the craft and all that. But like, it's not like you can lie, right? It's it's just like, nobody's, you're not going to get arrested, but it's just a question of like, you know, I, I don't really spend too much time thinking about what I like think is that like good or bad about somebody else, but rather like when I listen to my own sets, do I believe me? And that's not so much a question most of the time about the words and whether they are true, but instead the way that I said it, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh wait, what was that moment about Liz? Like, you know, and that's how I evaluate like myself, you know, that's what I think about. Yeah. So, um, We've been chatting and I already know the, qu- the answer to the question that I normally okay. ask at the beginning, but I didn't get to ask you it because we've, sure. we've been chatting so much. Um, but you're, I usually ask people like, what's your current relationship status? So you're yeah. married. I am married. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been married for? Uh, a little over a year. Okay. How long have you been together? Like how long did you date before? 
Um, we dated for three years before. And so we've been together like whatever over four years. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so what I was saying to you briefly before we started recording yes. is like, um, something that I was really like, I, I talk about this stuff in therapy and whatever, of course, but today felt really vulnerable. Um, like more raw, I guess that I was like, yeah. I'm 38. I'm still single. I'm coming to terms with the fact of like, is my life going to look like what I thought it would? Like, what if I don't find my future husband and, and have a baby biologically, like 38, like 38, like gets in your head and you're like, okay, how, how long do I have before biology is going to be against me? Or uh, is it already against me? And how like, part of it is this pressure, which my family is not like pressuring me in the sense of like, I can't believe you're not married yet. Cause they know that like, it's not that simple, but yeah. it's always been like married, Jewish, married, Jewish, married, Jewish, married, Jewish. Sure. And the question is now that I'm 38 and still single, like it didn't work. Like, and I've dated different people, but like, you know, as an adult out of college, I, I have mostly dated Jewish men. And mm-hmm. so like, like, I guess it's just like, well, what the fuck? What, who cares now? Can I just date someone that I think is kind and smart and interesting? And like, in the back of my head, it's always like, well, what's my family going to say? And that fucking sucks, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it. You know, um, for me, I did date non-Jewish people over the years. Um, mm. But, and that was certainly something that I was aware would not be welcome by my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and also dating women was not welcome by my family, okay. similar to how, you know, dating not Jewish people would, would have been unwelcome by my family. And so I'm very familiar with the territory of like how to tread on family expectations of who I'm with. Right. You know, that's really familiar territory for me. And I think it's like, I mean, ultimately I have a joke about this, um, which is, you know, that when I came out, my parents were, weren't happy about it. Then I started dating a rabbi. They're like, hold on. we're <laughs> oh, um, uh, And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, obviously it's in joke format, so it's like right. simplified, but like, um, but, you know, I think that those sorts of things, like whether it's being you know, like disappointing your parents as a sort of umbrella category Mm -hmm. or disappointing your family. I mean, it's an interesting thing I have found because I think like, I really value my family relationships. I always have. I, I, it's not to say that I always got along easily Mm -hmm. with members of my family, but no matter what, there was never a time throughout any phase that I've had that I wasn't in regular contact with my family. And honestly, I would say that the reason for that is fear, guilt. Yeah. For me, like we say, I love you in my family, like obsessively so much. And I really think that what we mean by that is please don't die every single time. Okay. Okay. And as a result, like, you know, when you would watch 
any kind of like movie or television. And I had this insight as a kid and I, I don't know what I was watching specifically, but just like as a trope in scenic depictions of moments. Okay. Family members or lovers or whatever, where it's like, oh, and I didn't know it was the last time I spoke oh, to God. Them, right? There has never been a time that I have interacted with anyone that I love that I do not for a moment wonder if this is the last time have I said everything that I need to say. And that is just how I'm built. Okay. Might be four out of four grandparents being Holocaust survivors, not bragging, Mm. but just saying, okay, (laughs) whatever, whatever it comes from, that is the case. And so even if my family was bothering me to no end because of this or that in terms of their disappointment, I was like, listen, if something happens, I just want to be smart about this interaction. Okay. And so the idea of like high stakes in the, like in terms of emotionality, I mean, I'm amped at the end of every phone call. You know what I mean? Because of this kind of thing. And so that is like for sure dis-ease, okay? I am not here saying that that's a good thing or a recommended thing or just a, a way of being that I think is healthy, not saying it at all. However, I think that the upside of that kind of just absolutely wild thinking is that if my parents were like, we really want you to date a Jew. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not. And we were at odds if I was younger or something like that. And I didn't have as much perspective, but I still Mm -hmm. had the please don't die methodology in my head. Right. I was able to kind of separate out like, but I love them. And I, I ultimately want them to be proud of me. And I, yeah, they're annoying in this moment, but like, ultimately I'm just going to want this interaction to go in the way that even if God forbid something happened, I'm still okay with what I said. Right. And I don't know. I think that that is connected to what you're asking because I think it's like those moments, I get it. They're, they're infringing and impinging and whatever on your sense of self. And I felt that before, but I also was like, all right, I got to figure out a way to kind of like recognize that this is what they think and also recognize that I want something different and be able to show love to both sides. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things I want to say. First of all, I have like two things in response to that. We're such lawyers. Um, So the first is like, because my parents had like a horrible divorce and my mom raised me and my sister on her own, like my sister and I don't have a relationship with my father. So like, it's the three of us package deal against the world, like nonstop, like texting, calling, blah, blah. blah. It's like me, my mom, my sister forever and ever. And my brother-in-law, like, I don't know what he thought at first, but he's not had an option. He's not had a choice in, in this family dynamic like, like this, you know, the other thing is that my sister and, and she doesn't listen to my podcast anyway. So whatever, I love her to death, but I don't think she will ever understand that. Like, because she's become Orthodox now modern, but still, yeah, it actually affects my life. Okay. Because my feeling is, 
every, and because she's the one that's married with kids already, mm-hmm. we do, and because she's Orthodox and can't, you know, ride on Rosh Hashanah or anything, it's like, we always go to her. So right. like, all I think about sometimes in those instances of like, what it would be like to bring around someone who's not Jewish to Rosh Hashanah at my sister's, like not even for what this hypothetical partner of mine would think it's more the community that she's in. Like, I mean, listen, we drive there, people see us drive there, whatever, but it's like them. It's like, I don't think there's like enough acknowledgement at least in my family, it's starting where like my, like after Passover, my mom said, cause we couldn't do anything last year in COVID, but this past Passover 2021, we were able to go down to an Airbnb in Florida and it was three days in a row at the, in whatever, I think in the beginning, um, cause it went, the first two seders went right into Shabbat or vice versa or something. Mm-hmm. And my mom finally said to the first time, for the first time to my sister, like, that was a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot for us for three full days. And my sister's like, well, you could just go in your room and like, nobody will know. And I'm like, yo, you don't understand how oppressive that is. Like, it's just, there's a dynamic that I think is like not acknowledged that like, I'm constantly thinking like, how is my future partner going to be in this family with an Orthodox sister? And I also think I freaked guys out before by being like, yeah, my sister's Orthodox, which isn't me, but I think it freaks people out. And is like getting another nearby Airbnb an option? Um, I guess it could be, it could be, but my family doesn't roll like that. Mm. Like, it's like everyone together. Cause we're small and we need each other and the kids, how could grandma not be around. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's a thing. Like, yeah, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why like Rosh Hashanah, I slept there only one night because all my sister's friends are like obsessed with me because I'm funny. Hello. Yeah. And they think I'm the funny, cool one. Mm -hmm. So like her friend wanted me like requested my presence. Mm -hmm. So I said, fine, I'll stay over. Right. And like, I stayed over and like, she, like the friends, um, she was like, I'm so happy you're here. Like, thank you for sleeping over at your sisters. I know you don't always want to. I'm like, it's not that I don't love them. It's that like, it's a, it's a different, I was there for the first 11 weeks of COVID. I was like keeping Shabbat. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. not that I haven't done it before. It's just not what I'm interested in. I don't listen. I think, I think it's pretty clear from people in my life. Like I don't believe in Orthodox Judaism. I do not like the way that they supported Trump. I don't like any of it. Mm -hmm. So like, it doesn't fit with me. Sure. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. So I don't know that that's the whole thing. Meanwhile, it's like, I'm just trying to get dates. Like, you know, (laughs) Right. But that, that's your mind. You go a million steps ahead before you're even in that scenario. Yeah, totally. I get that. And so in terms of finding someone who's Jewish to date, like, I, I know that you're saying like your family really wants that from you and for you. Is that something that is independently attractive to you? 
Here's the thing. I always say yes, but I'm sort of going through this phase. Turning 38 really like fuck me up. Like that's how I feel. And like, I want to be with someone that's kind and smart and interesting and funny and stable and like has a good head on their shoulders and all these things that I haven't found uh, in my prior relationships. And so my thing, I guess with Judaism is like, I would want my children to have bar and bat mitzvahs. I would want my children to grow up Jewish in that way. But I think now I'm more on the side of like, listen, if, 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 if the guy doesn't care about whatever he religion he was raised in Mm -hmm. and like is open to like allowing me to make some Jewish rules for our future, then like, that's what, that's all I care about. Like, I don't think I would fit with someone who's like super Christian and into Jesus, but I would fit with someone that doesn't really care that much or like, you know, wasn't raised anything. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel very happy that like my wife's a rabbi and, you know, so my life is like pretty Jewish. Um, and I was always really, so I, my background is I went to Orthodox Jewish day school from first through 12th grade. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I always like my parents were not as observant as we were taught in school how to be. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, it was like, we were learning exactly what we were doing wrong at home. Like that was the education. (laughs) My parents were like, get really good at knowing Wait, like, where did you grow up? In New Jersey. Um, so like Northern New Jersey. So I went to Mariah, which is in Englewood. Oh my God. You went to Mariah. That's serious. Yeah. And then I went to Ramah. Oh, you lived in Teaneck? No, I grew up on the island, but East Meadow, like right next to Hobbs. Oh, sure. Right, right, right. So not the five towns. Okay. So you're from Englewood. Well, we're not. Um, Okay. So like we were like in Fort Lee or whatever, like not as, not as observant and not like within walking distance to an Orthodox shul, but my, my parents are both descendants. My dad is past, but my parents were both descendants of Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, and like in their minds, this is the way that I understand it, uh, because of what they've told me is like, Mm -hmm you know, they wanted me and my brother to know where we came from. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that like, you know, the best way to do that was to like send us to Orthodox schools, which I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it worked out. Okay. You know, so in like my closest friends now to this day, and I'm 42, like are still what my absolute best friend is my best friend from first grade in Mariah. And like, she is Orthodox, like, you know, lives right near Mariah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, I very much like keep those connections alive. Um, and then, you know, the rest of my best friends are from Ramaz, um, which yeah. is where Shira, yeah. that's like my best, best friend from, you know, before, like we then both went to Ramaz, which is in the city. Right. And- met a bunch of other like people who we also then all went to college together as if we were like 
you know, series regulars in a television show. And like, we can't, we can't break up. Like we have to all go to the same school, but we also, we went to Penn, which is like, you know, okay. a lot of people from, you know, Jewish day schools, like end up going to, you know, a few different schools that have like really good Hillel's and stuff like right. that or actively participated in Hillel's. So anyway, so that's like my background Jewishly. Um, and I don't remember. Oh yes. I do remember why I was telling you this. And so, and for a time I was like very actively aware of trying to find Jewish people to date. Okay. Um, but to be honest, like, you know, my most serious college boyfriend, I dated a guy in college was okay. Jewish and I wasn't like specifically trying for it. Um, and then, you know, my wife is Jewish and I dated non-Jewish people as well who were great. Um, you know, like it didn't work out obviously, but like some of them I dated rather seriously. And I imagine my parents weren't thrilled, but like it all worked out, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. that's in part because there's something inside of me that I really thought it was important. Even if there were moments like when I was dating someone who wasn't Jewish that I might've protested to my family members, like, no, but she's great. And here's why and whatever. But like, I think, and, and then my mother would be like, you know, here are the arguments that you should date somebody Jewish. And I would fight about it at mm-hmm. the time and make up of course, before we hang up. The phone. <laughs> <But> anyway, um, <laughs> but, but like it was a thing, but then ultimately when I found the, the relationships that were the most serious relationships for me, I think it came from me. You know, I don't, I told myself it was coming from my family, but I don't believe that that was ultimately true. Yeah, I get it. I get, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, I just feel like, I don't know, 38 has really hit me hard. And I just yeah. feel like whatever happens, happens. Like, can I just like, is there somebody that I want to be around? Like, you know, and, and like, I don't know, you know, if you were ever on the dating apps, um, but like the dating apps suck. And I don't know how dating women are on the apps, but like the men suck. Right. Like they're just such, they can't fucking follow through with anything. And it's like, you're dating a stranger. Like one of my best friends in LA just this morning, because that's why our time difference is great. Sometimes we talk when she wakes up and then, and then I can call her when I come home at night, which is like amazing. Oh, that's Um, yeah. Yeah. But so she was like, it's really because they're fucking strangers. Like on a dating app, you you go on one date with someone and you're not sure and you don't know them and stuff. But when you meet somebody in person, like I notoriously will meet someone in person and he will have none of what I want and I'll be into him anyway because it's a vibe. Sure. I also, I mean, you know, I, I've taken acting classes for many years at this point. Um, and now I'm in an acting class that actually teaches me how to act, which is handy. (laughs) But, um, but for the reason I mentioned it is for like a few years, I was in an acting class that was very culty and strange. Mm. And I don't think taught me much about acting. However, I do think that it was exactly what I needed at the time because it was sort of like, you know, the guy was practicing basically unlicensed therapy. 
<laughs> on people who were like very vulnerably exposing themselves yeah. and all of their deepest, darkest in the hopes of being famous, basically, right? Which is like <laughs> what happens in, I mean, if not to bring up the show Barry, which I, I almost never talk about it, but for whatever reason, it's like all I can think of right now. Uh, it's not like I was even watching it today. But anyway, you know, I don't know if you've watched it, but like- Yeah, it, I've watched some. Okay, so like it was like that kind of acting class, right? With right. like, you know, I mean, Henry Winkler is such a genius portrayal of that kind of acting teacher. But I say all of this because- um, I had a teacher like that at a time when my kind of, I don't know, issue that I was most presenting with, according to this acting teacher, was that I equated um, unavailability emotionally with attraction. And it was the kind of thing where like, I don't think I would have been aware of it had I not been like, put it in my face over and over again in these acting classes that I was like, what am I even learning? You know, but anyway, but it, it ultimately, like I, I like talked about it in acting class for like years and dated a woman from the acting class. She was the only person I ever dated within the class. Okay. And it was like at the time I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with you, whatever. But like, and you know, it was like one of those relationships that I think according to like Instagram memes, despite the fact that I wanted it to be the relationship, it was really just like something that meant to teach me whatever. Right, right, right. I mean, I feel like there's faulty reasoning there because it's like, she's a person too. It's not all about me, but in any event, right? All of those footnotes aside, Um, what that relationship ended up teaching me was like that I do deserve somebody who actually wants me back. And she actually did more than some of the other people I was dating at the time. But it was like, it was like not as much as I think I ultimately really deserve, not just me, anybody, which is like, you know, my marriage right now. I mean, my wife is, I mean, absolutely amazing in ways that I never dreamed I would have in a relationship, like truly beyond any expectation, right. Including what I was modeled as a child in terms of like relationships that I saw around me, friends, family, any of it. And so it's just like, I'm not saying join a culty acting class, but I, I offer this, (laughs) I offer this because I just wonder, like, I thought I was like, well, here's what I find attractive, right? And you're saying, oh, it's a vibe. And it may be, I'm not saying it's not. But I think that if there is some thing that you think is attractive and it's somehow not giving back to you, that there may be something about what you might find attractive that's coming from somewhere else, like a trauma from before. If you've never read the book Attached. Oh girl, I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God. Attachment theory is so huge. Well, I will say that I, um, I never have crushes on people that I'm friends with. I have a crush on someone. And I'll tell you that what I told my friend, this is how I know that therapy and attachment theory have helped me. Because the reason that I have this crush, I find this person, I find him so warm, Mm -hmm. like such a warm person that I just enjoy 
talking to. Sure. So like, yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Like the attach, the attach book. I mean, I was an anxious attacher. I can also be avoidant. I need a secure attacher. I need someone that's going to say to me, I like you. I want to date you. I want to be with you, period. And the guys, what I'm real, what I'm doing now more than ever is that as soon as the guys show me that they don't really, they're not there, I'm, I'm like cutting it off or like, yeah, that sounds like, yeah. Or keeping it casual. Like I never do casual anymore because I can't in my thirties, my my emotions. I am not a casual person. I know. But this one guy that I recently had sex with, um, again, mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a big deal. I could go yeah, months sure. and months without it. Yeah. Um, he's someone, oh my God, I really hope he doesn't listen to this. I don't think he listens to my podcast, but like, he's not pursuing me like that. So if he listens to this podcast, that's what I'll say diplomatically. Like, let's be real here. He's not really pursuing me. He's, I'm not, you know, he's in a different place in his life. Like I'm not going to whatever. So like, he's not going to be my boyfriend. Like he's not, he's all over the place. Doesn't have a steady you know, financial situation, like is he's a hustler. He's super smart. I enjoy being with him, whatever, but like, he's not, I mean, he's not pursuing me like that. He's not. So let me keep him around so I could have sex every couple weeks. Sure. I mean, yeah, I understood. Um, Uh one thing I wonder about, like, I think that I think the attached book is so genius, you know, because of like attachment theory, I think is really smart. And then I think one of the things that's so great about the book is that it offers solutions, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so here's what attachment theory is, figure out wherever you fit in. And on that basis, here are like things that are probably going to work better and less well in Mm -hmm. your life based on how you are. And I think that that you know, in terms of what you're saying of like, okay, so therefore I need a secure attacher. One other thing that I think is perhaps important as a solution that the book offers is creating a world in which you yourself can be more securely attacked, even if that's not your natural constitution, which like I've already said that I think people are dying every time I leave them. So that should (laughs) give you a sense of what kind of attacher I am, which is for sure not secure. But one of the things that I have been able to do, and so you mentioned that like a guy that you like being around makes you feel warm. And so I wonder if it's possible for you to also create circumstances in which you can identify that warm feeling and where it could come from that's not him. Not to say that you don't get it from him as well, but I think one way of securely attaching or more securely attaching is by figuring out, okay, what am I getting from this person and how can I also give it to myself such Mm -hmm. that I don't need it only from them? Oh, totally. Totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, you have to be your own person. Like, this is why, like, I dated this guy. I've talked about him on the podcast. I dated this guy and we broke up like the December before COVID. And I, I'm very thankful that I knew to break up with him, but like, he was the anxious one and he made me feel like so avoidant and like everything was in, 
issue. And I just was like, like, especially coming from my upbringing, like with my father that did not take care of us, like to his dad died. This is going to sound horrible. Nobody cancel me, please. His dad died when he was 12, like from cancer, which is awful. Sure. It's like, he was 36 when we dated, like we were both 36. So Mm -hmm. like, I'm still hearing about your dad nonstop. And his, he would talk, I never actually met his sister, but his sister was like 40 unemployed and still being like, if only daddy was around. And I was like, the two of you need therapy because let me tell you something. I didn't get anything out of life by crying that my father didn't take care of me. I fucking pulled up my big girl pants and I went to school. I went to law school. I do what I have to do. I fucking hustle with comedy. I'm recording a podcast. Like I can't take this victim mentality of like only daddy was around. Yeah. Well, I wanted that too, but that's not how it worked out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like it wasn't a fit. (laughs) I was, he brought out a very, very mean side to me. Sure. They had no patience for him. Well, it's also like, and I think that's an interesting point that you're bringing up is like, you know, I feel very securely attached to my wife, but that does not mean that I would be securely attached to anyone. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. People are so individual and like connection is so specific. And so it's like, I thankfully, you know, I guess went to acting class and therapy and whatever (laughs) else I did to a point that I was able to like, you know, really look at myself and see things about me that I didn't like. And so it's not, it's not anybody else's fault. And then also realize like, oh, and in addition, there were people who like maybe weren't great for me, you know? And like, I was able to kind of be more real about that so that I found myself in a place where like very luckily, and I, I can't explain it. I found my wife and like, you know, then there was this person who I'm like, oh my God, I'm attracted to you. And you're so kind. And you're like, not only Jewish, but like, you're a rabbi. So like you engage deeply with like concepts that I, I mean, Mm -hmm. I love thinking like, yeah, I do comedy, but like, you know, I really want, like, if I'm just telling jokes and they don't have some sort of you know, deeper through line or meaning, it's not as interesting to me. And like, I always like analyzing, you know, my sets for like, okay, but like, what did I say? Like, what did I mean? You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, it's all of it to say that, like, I, I got really lucky, but I was really not in that place for like a long time, including when I was 38. I met my wife when I was 38. Okay. So that gives me hope. Yeah. How did you guys meet? It was a a friend, like a mutual friend who, you know, my wife is closer with, like knows more, but we went to the same high school, this person. Okay. She messaged on Facebook. Are you single? Are you single? And we both. That's amazing. Do you have anybody that you can message on Facebook? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. You you better not like, I mean, I'm going to know you after this podcast. And so if they're, yeah, I think, I think I could think about that. Honestly, my biggest thing right now is like, 
is he at least five nine? Because I'm okay. five nine. Okay. And does he have a steady job? Okay. You'd be surprised how many dudes don't. So yeah. and, and and kind and all of that, you know, all of that sure. good stuff. Right. Kind right. and That's smart. Third. third. Yeah. Tall, employed, kind. No, kind is number one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so as we're wrapping up, I always ask this question. I actually yeah. have my answer. I don't always give right. answers, but I have it at the top of, top of my head. If you could get down and dirty, and I know you love your wife, but yes. if you could get down and dirty with anyone, and she <laughs> would be okay with it. Right. Who would it be and why? Her mom. Her mom. <laughs> she's right there. And like, she wasn't for most of the time we were recording. I, so I listened to your podcast. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's her dad, but, um, (laughs) her brother, come on, her sister-in-law, but, uh, um, and then of course I'm like the nieces, God forbid. But anyway, um, no, I, I don't, I I thought about it. You know, I listened to your podcast before, so I knew that that was the question. Mm. I really like there are people So, so I really, you know, my dream of dreams is to have a television show about my life to girls on HBO. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. Play myself. And you know, if you remember girls, there's a lot of sex and, uh, and, and I mean that part of, you know, the, the picture as well. And so I imagine that I will be having a lot of simulated sex. And so I can give you Mm. some casting fantasies. Perfect. There are people who've played my exes, but I honestly, I do not want to have sex with these people. Okay. okay. Like okay. I really don't. That's I'm very, great. very happy. And I love to work and I love the work that I do now. And like the dreams that I have for doing future work are really big and intense. Wow. Um, now with all that set up, I actually don't have any names uh, <laughs> of people. I'm just like, oh, but who would I want to cast? Like, I honestly have no idea. Like, and then I'm just like, okay. So like, you know, then I'm thinking of the cast of girls, like, sure. But it's not like there's, I, I honestly, I mean, mostly, mostly I just think of people who I already know, who I like know as brilliant actors who aren't famous. And so like my friend, Jessica, I imagine playing my wife. That doesn't mean I want to have sex with my friend, right. Jessica, but I think she would be really good in the role of my wife. Mm. And then, you know, there's some exes, like, um, I have an ex, I don't know if you know the comedian Esther Steinberg, but, um, we're not like, I know the name. Yeah. yeah she's great. And, uh, and she's, Jewish and a comedian and very funny and awesome. And we're friends, like not like good, good friends, but like friends. And I've always imagined, um, the role of like one of my exes that she would play that role. Mm. I think she'd be brilliant in it. And so, you know, that list is a list that's like ongoing. Um, yeah, but, but so what's your answer? Okay. So I'm going to go along with the Jew theme. Oh, good. (laughs) Okay. John Bernthal. Who is that? Oh my God. He was, um, in the walking dead. He was Shane. He just, um, he's in the new, um, the new, uh, prequel to Sopranos. He was, he was also like on a Netflix. Um, he, he's been in so many things. He, he was in a Netflix, like, uh, comic, whatever type of thing for a while that I think that's when he really blew up, but I've been seeing him. Is he single? 
No, he's oh. he's a family man. Yeah, he's married oh. with kids, but he's so attractive to me. Like he's on he like he was also he had a so, so this is what's interesting about him because he's been in so many things mm-hmm. and now he's like super well known and stuff and but I guess The Walking Dead is really what like first like made him, you know, explode because he played like one of the main characters for a few seasons but like now he was in this small i like when he does like small roles so he was in this movie with jeremy renner oh he's also a hottie um called wind river it's actually from 2017 but it just came out on netflix it's great it's all about um a girl that goes missing and she's native american and like i didn't know that uh, now I'm forgetting what state it was in Wyoming. Maybe I didn't know how cold it got like so much snow, so much snow. Um, and like, uh, it, it talks a lot about like how native American, especially women go missing and nobody looks for them and da da da. Like a story like that. John Bernthal plays this fucking small role, uh-huh. but oh man, that guy, uh-huh. whew, he does it for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I well, forgot about him. Great. Yeah. He's, um, he's taken. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes people get divorced. I know. That's what I'm hoping for. One can, my, my joke in the beginning of COVID is like, I'm waiting for all these relationships to end. Yeah. I feel you. can't say quarantine. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So I always let everybody plug the shit out of themselves. Oh yeah. You I mean, the main yourself. way. Sure. Um, so a couple things. One, you can please anybody who wants to go to my website, which is dear Liz Glazer. Dot com. D-E-A-R-L-I-Z-G-L-A-Z-E-R, dearlizglazer.com. Uh, and that'll show you, you know, like all the other, if you Google me, whatever, you could find me. It's not hard. I'm also, I'm taping a special. I believe it'll be December 5th in Brooklyn. Um, please come. Can I come? Uh, yes. I would love for you to come. Yeah. Okay. Um, Keep me updated. Yeah. I would love to. That's amazing. How long? How long? Uh, is- it'll be like 45 to an hour. Um, thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited. Uh, and I think it'll be a really fun, special night where I can talk about how I always am worried about everybody dying. Um, which is really funny. If you, if you think about it, December 5th, is that a Sunday? Yes. Okay. I'm in not fun. Yeah. I love it. Love Sunday night. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to, you know, listen to some comedy on a winter Sunday. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's ideal. Um, I think it's during Hanukkah as well. Perfect. Yeah. So that's exciting. Thank you for having me. This was a dream. Oh, awesome. I'm so happy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.